This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping project managers sharpen their PM skills. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, I'll be speaking with Christian Knutson, Director of European Defense and Security Programs at Jacobs, about the importance of project delivery for the sales cycle. This is so important. Especially in large organizations, you have a business development team and you have a project delivery team or the project manager, right? And if the project manager is not involved in the sales process, and sometimes they're not, you could have a major issue when it comes to delivering the project. We also talk a lot about the importance of project delivery in the sales process, meaning that if you don't deliver your project the right way, you're not getting more projects from that client potentially, and that's a huge fail for a consulting firm. Chris has also served as a co-host in the past for some of EMI's podcasts, including our civil engineering podcast. He's done some amazing interviews with some incredible guests, and his background in project management is nothing short of extraordinary. He is a PMP, he's done program management at the very highest levels, and he's worked globally. So we're thrilled to have him back for today. With that, let's jump right into the episode. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. Christian Knutson is Director of European Defense and Security Programs at Jacobs and longtime friend. Chris, welcome to the Engineering Project Management Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. It's great to be here. Wonderful to be on the uh, PM podcast for the first time. So, Gary? We've worked together a lot in the past, Chris and I. Chris has done some co-hosting across our platform and the different podcasts. He's created a lot of really great content for engineers to help them become better leaders over the years. So I'm excited about this conversation because I know Chris is super passionate about, you know, informing and educating engineers and PMs, which is awesome. So Chris, just to get us kind of going here for those listeners that might not know much about your background, could you maybe share a little bit about your career journey and how you found project management? It's a bit of a long journey, but do the best you can to kind of give us a good summary of it. I've got probably, I just hate to say it now, dating myself, probably about 31 years now of uh, kind of working in industry. So it's been uh, just a few years. I started off, started out of university as a civil engineer, studied that, and then um, went in the military and I spent well over two decades doing that. And uh, early on in military, you know, you quickly become, you're not going to be doing engineering. So, um, although I had a degree in engineering, I was going to be doing design and, uh, you know, found myself several years later into that really in a management role, management leadership, doing lots of management projects, younger officers would migrate towards that. So I ended up doing project management early on, you know, no real formal education in it. I think, uh, you know, several years into my career, I finally figured out that there's this thing called project management certification. If I went and did some, uh, formal education on it. 
and ended up getting the PMP and um, thought that was the greatest thing in the world because it actually put some structure around it, allowed me to be able to kind of talk lingo, you know, with the different design teams and whatnot. But it also, most importantly, just kind of gave a, a structure to what I had been doing and also identified maybe some things that I, I should have been doing but didn't even know I'm supposed to be doing. So picked that up, Anthony, along the journey, went for working projects and really into programs and uh, ultimately ended up with the program management certification as well. I probably find myself working more now in the program arena, portfolio arena than I do really on projects, but that's really the career. So, you know, there's some of us out that are out there technically that are going to, you know, migrate towards engineering, others towards management. I ended up in the management route. That's how I got to where I am today. Yeah. And I think the other piece of it that's important to note about Chris's experience is it's global. So he's worked in the U.S. extensively and, and beyond U.S. borders, obviously now in Europe. And I think that that's just another variable you throw into the mix, engineering, project management, global standards and guidelines and regulations and things of that nature uh, becomes a lot to manage. you know. And Chris, one thing I just want to point out real quick for those, and this is probably a whole nother episode or a series of episodes we can do with you in the future, the idea of program management for those listening. I mean, essentially, from my understanding of it is it's really more of you go from managing a project to managing kind of a portfolio or a series of projects that kind of fit together in some way, shape, or form. Is that an accurate way to describe it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, the simplest definition is a project is a discrete piece of work that's got a defined start and a defined end. And we know the project life cycle, you know, initiating, planning, executing, controlling, monitoring, closing. But there's a legitimate start that starts on this date You've got a period of performance that ends at date, whatever, date zero plus X. A program is the best way to look at it. It's just, it's a conglomeration or it's a number of projects, but it could also be just general operations, you know, different things that are kind of moving on in the background that has a, may have a defined start, but it may not have a defined ending. One of the, I guess, a program. And I realize this is a kind of a military program, but I'll just kind of throw it out there. But like the B-52 aircraft, if people know who that is, I mean, that was designed back in the 40s and the thing is like still flying like 80 years later. It's considered a program. I mean, so programs can almost operate in perpetuity. There's not really a defined end date. And it's generally the, the intent is you have a number of projects that are somewhat related. And there may be even sub programs under the program. But they're somewhat related and then allows you as a program manager and decision makers to make broader strategic decisions around, let's say, funding. That's usually one of the main things that comes out of it is you could have an ability to be able to move funding and, and, and finances around, find efficiencies in, in executing numbers of projects as opposed to looking at, let's say, a series of similar 30 projects and you do each one of them individually. You could have had benefits that came from doing them all together as one program. If it's engineering work, it could be putting them in the tranches that are executed by single contractors versus 30 separate contractors, et cetera. We're going to talk a little bit today about you know how sales intersects with project management. So how crucial is project delivery success to kind of the overall sales cycle in engineering projects, Chris? I guess one word I'll just use it to kind of sum it up is critical. It's absolutely critical. Um, I mean, this is probably one of the things. It's actually pretty germane to life right now because everybody who's out there, whether they are, you know, they're a PM or not. If you haven't had a challenging project, you will. It's not a matter of, you know, it's always a matter of if I haven't had one yet, it's going to come. So, 
not all projects go, you know, as planned. Uh, there's always challenges and sometimes not the right challenges you want. But I think it's, it's absolutely critical. I mean, poor project delivery is probably the easiest way to make sure that you're going to begin to lose clients. And if you do it, if you do it often enough, your reputation potentially can get out there and now you got negative reputational impact. And it can bleed from, let's say, the client that you didn't have a good experience with potentially to other clients as well. So really see it as, as absolutely critical. So a, a project manager and their technical delivery team that are out there working on, you know, working with a client, developing the basis of design and delivering that project, you know, if things start to go wrong and that could be, you know, like lacks the project, the design lacks constructability. It doesn't take into account resiliency and sustainability considerations. There isn't value for money. Value engineering wasn't, I mean, just all these different things that could come up, just poor quality and having to rework the project. Certainly those are not sales related issues. That's that's 100% delivery. But the issue is, is that if you do that and you end up with negative client satisfaction survey at the end of that, that can then negatively impact your ability to be able to, let's say, work with that client and get future work from them. You know, especially if, let's say, the, you're working with the U.S. government, there's a specific system and anybody who's listened to this that is involved in U.S. government contract work, through, let's say the Army Corps of Engineers or Naval Facilities Command, especially in, in others in the U.S. government, there's going to be this system called Contractor Performance Reporting System, or CPARS. And any PM that's listening to this or others, if you're not a PM, you want to be a PM if you're listening to this, if your project's going to be graded on quality, cost control, management, schedule, and if you get a marginal or an unsat, it can sink not only your opportunity to get additional work, let's say on the contract that you're sitting on, because usually they do these as frameworks, but it could sink your ability to be able to get future framework contracts, which then locks you out of design. And those things can be, they'll go back 10 years on that. That can have a long-term impact. So bottom line, project delivery, it's all about that. PMs, engineering disciplines, teams out there. As a PM, you got to deliver success, quality, schedule, cost. I mean, those are the basics of PMing and you got to do that exceptionally in good. And if you are having problems, you got to get early with your growth and sales, your business development team and try to get in there and make sure that you can try to risk mitigate as much as you can. Yeah. And the reason I think this is important and the reason that I really wanted to talk with Chris about this today is because I think a lot of times what happens, especially we see a lot in consulting firms is project managers are in the mindset, of course, of doing project management. But what they fail to realize is that in most AEC consulting firms, I would say 70 to 90% of work is repeat customers, repeat clients, right? So who's responsible for repeat clients? The project managers. Absolutely. To Chris's point. So- you are actually doing sales and business development every day, whether you realize it or not as a project manager, to Chris's point. If you're hitting your scoping and scheduling and budget and your client's happy, odds are when the next project comes around, you will definitely be you know, one of the highly considered firms for that project because of your past record. So I think it's important for all of you that are listening as project managers is to not just think of yourself as an operational person, is to think of yourself as someone doing sales and BD because- the end of the day, you are. I mean, that's what your firm, the way you make money is you deliver your service through projects and you're kind of the curator of delivering that service. So you have to be really very mindful. Of it. Now, Chris, I think where this gets interesting, this is the whole kind of impetus for this episode is Chris and I having kind of an off the cuff conversation about this a couple months back is this sales process. A lot of times in firms, especially larger firms, like in your case, 
you have a sales and business development team that's different from the project delivery team and the project manager per se. So, you know, someone's out there doing business development, shaking hands, doing proposals, and then, hey, we get the project. Hey, Chris, here's your project. You know, go deliver on it. Now, where that becomes challenging is if there's a disconnect between the ops team, so to speak, and the sales team in that what the sales team put together wasn't really ran by the PM and that they don't meet eye to eye. So talk a little bit, Chris, about the importance of the sales team having some perspective on project management and operations and understanding what goes into projects on their side of things. That's a great point because I think that happens in probably all companies, you know, at differing levels where just to your point, you've got the salespeople out there working the client, doing the sales thing, and they put the proposal together and they send it in and they, you know, they sprinkle gold dust all over it and they win the project and the PM gets it and it's like, what the heck is this? <laughs> we don't do that. How did we win this project? You know, now we got to go deliver it. So that's a two-way street. So from the sales side, I've got an engineering degree and I come from that technical background. Over my career, I've done operations. And when I'm thinking of operations, you're thinking of resource allocation. So every company is going to have probably a different way. But in general, you're going to have somebody who's managing resource availability. You're going to have project managers. They could be in a team, separate team, or they could be assigned to you know, specific regions or whatever. But you know, typically, there's somebody who's sitting in a decision-making role in operations or resources that's going to make the choice of, hey, for this specific project, this project manager is has got the best experience, the background, et cetera. We're going to put them on it. And these are the discipline leads that are going to be in there. From the sales perspective, I think it's important that the person who's doing the sales early on in the proposal phase is having that conversation with the operations director to have at least somewhat of an idea of who the PM and at least discipline leads may be that are going to be involved in that contract or that specific project. And again, I'm thinking if it's um, if certain clients will let out framework contracts, which I think I've mentioned before, where they may be multi-year contracts and you get selected best value with a rate card and you come on and you hold that contract over a period of time, and then there'll be task orders or individual projects that come up. In those situations, it's really important that the sales team get operations people involved in the development of that contract proposal. If it's a specific piece of work where we're either having to do, like, let's say, a few pages of a proposal, a pitch, and then pricing, ops has got to be involved in that. I mean, unless you're in a really small business and small firm and in the BD, you've got seller doers that are out there that understand implicitly the company's sales model and you know, pricing, et cetera. In larger companies like mine, I'll be working the sales side, but I'm, I'm married up directly with my ops director to make sure that when we're going through building proposals, whether it's single individual projects or since frameworks, they've got technical people that are involved right from the beginning of it, helping to make decisions around not only how do we propose or talk about what maybe the great things that we've done or the great things that we could do, but that we're thinking about how are we going to actually execute this thing when we win it. And so that may be a little bit different for me. I got a lot of operations background as well. So I come into this always thinking about, at least from a sales side, how are we going to actually deliver this while I'm trying to sell it, right? So I think that may be a really good approach. And, and I realize some of the BD people that are out there, Anthony, uh, business development or growth and sales people don't have technical backgrounds or, or PM backgrounds. So that's probably an entirely different question that we could unpack and maybe talk a little bit about how to overcome that challenge because it's out there. 
let me throw a hypothetical at you, Chris. Let's say you're a project manager and your company, you know, you get a phone call. Hey, Chris, good news. We just won this big project. We want you to be the PM on it. Here's the scope of work. We're ready to get going. And you look at that scope of work and you see that there's some glaring inefficiencies or errors in that scope of work. And, you know, the project can't be delivered that way. There needs to be some changes. What would your approach or how would you respond to that situation as the PM? So the first thing I would do, I would look to get a meeting set up between, and again, PM likely is working for, again, somebody who's like an ops director type of a role. And you're going to want to get a meeting with that individual and whoever was on the sales side and get them into a meeting straight away to go through what those issues are. So, you know, identifying what's the gap, trying to um, put some numbers around that. So is that gap, is it a gap that, hey, we don't have that capability in-house? Like we need a sub-consultant or a sub-contractor to come in. Like maybe you forgot the, the sales side, put this thing together, didn't even talk about how you're going to deal with, could be like surveying or some kind of health and safety aspect. If that's a resource requirement that you don't have internally, you've just missed it completely. Right now, the client's going to look at you and go, well, that's you. That's not my problem. You didn't bid it. If it's a resource requirement, that's one thing. That's usually what this is. It's usually you know, that the BD team missold a capability. It didn't actually include everything that was going to be needed to actually bring that thing across the table. Firms are going to be different, again, based off of the size. I think smaller ones may not have this dedicated sales team, so you probably have ops people involved. In most project pricing buildup on them, you're going to have some kind of a risk pot in that. And I think every company, again, is going to have some, you're either going to base it off of percentages or you're going to have some type of a algorithm that's set up that looks at different types of risks and associates some percentage of overall project cost to that. And so as the PM, you need to identify what the gaps are try to put some kind of a resource number against it. Is it people? Is it money? Financial? Is it, it's going to be usually one of those two things. And then identifying that to your ops director and your sales side. And as I'm sitting here thinking, hypothetically, there could be situations where the client themselves didn't ask for it, right? So that's a different approach. So you didn't ask for it, but in order for us to do this, you're going to have to do this. Like you completely missed that you need to do this, whatever, you know, power survey. The building just isn't good. There's not enough energy. There's not enough power coming into the building to be able to operate everything. We didn't know that. That's an unforeseen site condition. It's you as the client. The client didn't put that in. So that, that's a different discussion because that's a modification of the contract versus we said we could do this or we didn't even think about it. And now that's on us because it was in the scope, but we didn't add into our approach to that to be able to cover that. So it starts first with what's the gap? And then getting with the ops and the sales side to figure out how you're going to overcome that. And I asked Chris that question because I know that he's an excellent communicator and he's big on bringing people together and talking with you know all the parties involved. And I think that's a big piece of project management, quite frankly, just in general. But especially when you get into a situation where I could see some PMs in the scenario that I pitched to Chris, inexperienced PMs that might just try to make it work right? Hey, this doesn't look like it's the right project management setup for me, but I'm just going to make it work because I wasn't involved in the bidding. And you know, I'm not going to try to open up a can of worms. And that's not the right approach. The right approach, like Chris says, is get the stakeholders here, internal stakeholders at this point together and see what the heck went wrong and how we can try to fix it and try to bridge it here. And for those of you in small firms that say, hey, I don't know if that would happen to me because I'm in a smaller firm. I've seen it happen even where the smaller firm gets hired as a sub 
and you say, hey, we've got this project. We need you to help us with it. We've already got you know the scope in place and everything worked out. It could be a similar type of scenario. Don't just think that this is only for a very large firm. You might run into a situation like that where you have to do deal with that as well. Chris, another thing I want to ask you about, just kind of a little bit more general, but in terms of client expectations on these infrastructure projects, I mean, you've worked on some massive projects in your day and you still are. As a PM, yes, we're thinking about the process groups and yes, we're thinking about scope and schedule and budget, but how do you kind of make sure that you're meeting the client's expectations while you're doing all of your technical PM roles and responsibilities? How do you approach something like that? Great question, because again, this will, I'll try to tie this also back kind of into that sales cycle aspect. So, you know, so that large project or program that was that your company won, there was a sales team that was involved with that. Likely, they weren't just sitting around; it didn't just pop into their inbox, and all of a sudden they decided they'd go after it. There probably was a process on the front end to identify, you know, what's our value proposition and interface with the client to find out like what are their pulse points. I mean, what are the things that that client is really interested in? So. In any company, whether it's a small firm, there's a BD person that's doing something, seller doer, maybe it's the owner of the company. Larger companies, again, have client account managers, growth and sales, dedicated people. Somebody in there was interfacing with that client and they have an understanding of the client's, kind of their culture, the things that they view as benefits, the unwritten things, right? So the black and white of the contract and the statement of work tell you that these are the things you have to deliver, but then there's all these other things that aren't in writing. So as a PM, I think that's one thing is you know, if you didn't see the proposal, ask to see the original proposal because there's usually probably a, like, you know, these are the values that we're going to bring you or that we're going to bring and these are the benefits you're going to get. So that gives you an idea that these are probably the things that the client's interested in beyond the basics, which is quality, cost, scope. And I think that's really important as you kind of mentioned that, you know, Anthony is younger PMs. Those are always, that's, you know, the PM triangle is Dr. Sang. You got to deliver those. But that cost is not only cost external to the client on the cost of the project, but it's your cost internal to the company. Because if you as the PM, you kind of got to manage both of them. On a design project, you're looking for value, trying to get value for the client. So when that that design that you've created, your team's created, goes out for construction solicitation, that the client is not having to spend more than they need to spend to be able to get that project constructed. So that's constructability and value engineering. Internally, as a PM, you're going to be on the hook to manage your resources on that project to what you've been allocated to manage it to. Because there's the project costs 100, 75% of that's going towards the project. That means 25% of its margin. That's really what the whole thing is all about is making margin, not revenue, but margin. So as a PM, you're going to be on the hook to make sure that you're meeting your work plan to be able to meet whatever that margin percentage is that's going to be on the project. So quality, cost, schedule, absolutely got to hit those. All the extras that the client's hands is, is getting your hands on that, on that original proposal, talking to the client manager, talking to whoever the BD person is that knows that client to find out, hey, What's their culture? What are the things that they're expecting? You know, it could be like making who your client, whether the client's got a PM or the client owner that you're working for, making them look good in front of their boss. There could be a number of different things that are these untangibles that we're working with the project. Really what that goes back to is what's going to make the client happy on this project? 
know, I know that's a simplistic way to look at it. Chris mentioned all the different buckets and areas you need to be aware of. But if you were to just step back and say, hey, if I were to go to my client and say, you know, what does kind of success look for you like on this project? Yeah, they're going to probably say budget and schedule to some degree, but there may be something else that's really driving them on that project. And to Chris's point, especially if you weren't highly involved in that sales cycle process, you're going to need to get with that client manager. You're going to need to get with the sales team. And what were they talking about through this process? What were they looking for? What were some of the buzzwords they were using? That's a really important part of it. So Chris, last question that I have for you here in this segment related to all this is, Last thoughts on just aligning kind of the sales goals and sales team with the project delivery goals and project delivery team. Any last pieces of advice that you could have on keeping these two aligned to the best of the ability of the organization? So it's going to come down to who the clients are. Each company is going to kind of face into a different set of clients. Again, smaller firms may have a smaller set of clients. Larger ones just tautologically are going to have more clients. If you're a PM, it's possible that, again, in larger company, you're kind of segmented into a certain area, whether it's transportation or water or whatever it might be. So I think the first thing is um, trying to drive towards getting routine conversations going between the sales and the operations sides of the business. And if, again, smaller firm, a lot easier because you know it's just a lot easier Larger firms, it can be more of a challenge. Usually there's processes that are put in place and you know, routine weekly staff meetings happen no matter what organization you're in. So the first one is just communications between the ops and the sales side. On the sales side, it's what are the key pursuits that are out there? What are the proposals that are going to be you know, due and going in? On the ops side, it's you know, from the sales side of it is, is, is being aware of what's coming because that helps you with resource planning downrange. You, obviously, you don't want to be in a situation where you want to have backlog, but you don't have so much backlog that you now end up impacting the ability to actually start projects and quality and all these other issues come from that. So I think there's a really important bit of making sure that there's a good communication between the sales and the upside in a routine basis so that each of them are aware of these are the key opportunities we're going after. These are the key issues we're dealing with so that both of them are aware of that as they step into it. At a leadership level, being able to do that then also then gives you the visibility on, especially at, let's say, a firm leadership level, gives you the visibility on maybe at really having to make tough decisions. Because if you're resource constrained, you're either going to have to go into a partnership or you're going to have to be in a situation where you may have to not do a piece of work because you're not going to be able to deliver it if you were to win. So that's probably the first one. The second one is, you know, as a PM, is developing, whether you're young or you're seasoned at this, if you've not done business development before, get with your business development team, find somebody on that side of the aisle and get to know them and get to understand the sales cycle, get to understand what the processes and procedures are that they go through to make sure that you have at least an understanding of what that looks like and where do you fit into that within your company and more importantly with the clients that you're trying to serve. On the business development side, is to know who your operations team is, to understand the pricing development or the, the price buildup process that your company uses, just so you've got that knowledge in the background of your head as you're talking with clients and promising them all the great things that your company is going to be able to do for them, that you've thought through like, how are we going to actually do this before you start maybe selling things that you can't deliver, the old, you know, the old proverbial writing checks that, that your body can't cash. So 
the best way, Anthony, is just open communications and then walk a few steps in the shoes of the other team, if you will, internal, so that you have a really good understanding as you give to your clients. Good stuff. I mean, communication, absolutely. And I think like Chris said, understanding the process that the sales team is using is going to be very beneficial. And if you work for a very, very large organization, I would even recommend having the sales team do some lunch and learns or presentations around their process for PMs firm-wide, right? Show us the process, show us the questions we ask, et cetera. All right. So with that, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break and we're going to come back with one final question for Chris in our PM pitfall segment. So we'll be right back. We are back with Chris Knutson, Director of European Defense and Security Programs at Jacobs. We talked a lot about the intersection between sales and project management today. Chris, to kind of wrap us up, we'd like to ask one final question to all of our guests. What is the biggest PM pitfall that you've seen in your career as a PM? And how would you recommend that a PM either avoid it or deal with it or overcome it in their PM travels? It's again, going to come back to communications and really stakeholder management, that's usually the the crux of most issues are going to be born from just a lack of good, open, transparent communications. And in the case, again, and those of us that are in the you know, consultancy business on for architectural engineering, if it comes down to not getting along with the client's PM or not communicating with them, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody being blamed for too much communications or too much talk. So that's the biggest pitfall is not keeping the client informed and not just having good understanding of the stakeholders who are involved. So PMs can overcome that. I think it's going to solve a a good majority of the issues that they're going to be faced with um, and at least allow them to maybe focus on dealing with the technical ones and not all the other issues that can come up. How do you get around that? I mean, project managers, I've seen good ones, ones who are exceptional in communications, gifted orators, if you will. But generally, you don't have to be a a gifted orator, you don't have to be a natural communicator, if you will. I think it comes down to, you know, Anthony, just processes and procedures. So develop a process that works for you. Again, most companies are probably going to have standard forms and things like that. But if they don't, or if they do, make it your own, become really good. And it's almost like muscle memory and you're not thinking about it when it comes to communications and minutes and Having that interface with the client to make sure that they're being serviced appropriately. And if an issue comes up, that you're communicating internal to the company to develop a solution or multiple solutions. And then you're communicating with the client quickly on what those solutions look like with a recommendation of what the best one is. The last one, and this one's a kind of acute for me just because it's, it's happened here recently on a couple projects, is as the PM, don't overpromise, which then drives the technical team to have to underdeliver. And what I mean by that is it usually comes down to timing. Like the client says, hey, Anthony, this component of this element of work, it looks like we missed it. We got it. How quickly can you get this done? Because it's always good. It's always scheduled, right? How quickly can you get it done? And you go flippantly go, oh yeah, we can get that done by Friday in today's Tuesday. And then you get with the discipline leads and they're like, what are you talking about? Like we've got these other three project efforts that are in, are in motion. Yeah, we've got 100% submittals that are due. We can't get this until like a week from Friday. So now as the PM, you're stuck in a situation where you have to now go back to the client and say, oh, well, 
yeah, we really can make it this week. It's got to be a week from where you could have just either A, said, hey, let me find out. I'll get back to you and then go talk to the discipline people or just throw it out a little bit further to the future. So you've got some uh, margin. And then if for some reason you they're able to get it done on ahead of that, you've now under-promised and over-delivered. And as a PM, you're just going to look better and your company's reputation is not going to take a hit for And I'd say the one thing I would just reinforce real quickly is the idea of consistent communication with your clients, like Chris said, or any routine you can build, whether it's a weekly touch base with them. Because I think what that'll also do for you is it can take away a lot of the asynchronous messaging from your clients or at least minimize it because they know they're going to have access to you every Friday morning for an hour or whatever the case may be. And it allows you to keep that communication door flowing and know that you're going to give them regular updates and be able to hear from them regularly. And that's a big piece of communication. So Chris, as always, it was a fun time talking and catching up. And this is a really, really important topic. I'm thankful that you were able to spend some time here with us on it. And we look forward to having you back in the future again. Thanks, Anthony. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris. It is an important topic. The intersection between sales and project delivery in the AEC world. And I hope that you use this to navigate the situation that you might be in related to it. And remember, you can find all the show notes for this episode at www.engineeringpmpodcast.com. That's engineeringpm for project management podcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering project management endeavors. 